You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. Book of Hosea. We're going to jump right in. I want to give you our summary sentence for today. Um, As Tyson said, one of the main themes of this book is uh, God's love, uh, God's love for his people. And so we're going to answer that question today. What is love? Our summary sentence is Hosea's love for his unfaithful bride is a picture of God's steadfast love through Jesus to redeem and renew unfaithful man to him. Hosea's love for his unfaithful bride is a picture of God's steadfast love through Jesus to redeem and renew unfaithful man to him. For our kids, Hosea helps us see that God is always faithful to his people, even when his people aren't faithful to him. All right, a lot of you are probably familiar with uh, the, the narrative or the story portion of the book of Hosea. There's a lot of poetry that's intertwined within this uh, minor prophet, but the, the story that's kind of contained there, the story that's known there is, is Hosea is a prophet of God who is commanded to marry an unfaithful woman, right? And to bear the challenges and the hurts that come with that unfaithfulness. Uh, but he plays the part, he plays the role of God who continues to show faithfulness to this woman despite her unfaithfulness back, right? And so we'll see how some of that plays out today and how that parallels what God does for us through the gospel. But it's Hosea's love for his unfaithful bride that helps picture God's steadfast love through Jesus to redeem and renew unfaithful man to him. And Hosea plays that similar role uh, in this story where he has to go and pay a purchasing price for his bride to get her back. Um, similar to how God sends Jesus to pay that price for our sin to welcome us back, right? We were created in the image of God. We forfeited that image when we rebelled against God. Um, and now we have this image of God that is tainted, skewed, messed up, and God is working to fix that image in us, right? He does that through Jesus who comes and pays the price for our sin. Um, and then uh, Hosea puts some parameters in place to, uh, to help gain faithfulness from, from his wife, Gomer. And, and God certainly does the same thing, right? He renews our heart, uh, takes a stony heart out and puts a fleshly heart in, and he begins to mold us and make us into the image of Christ. All right? Um, just kind of a, by way of introduction, the prophets, uh, these, these guys were God's spokesmen in the Old Testament uh, to call Israel and Judah back to God's covenant. So you'll remember the kingdom gets split um, after Solomon. Uh, So we have the nation of Israel that gets split into two. You've got the 10 tribes of Israel, the northern kingdom, and then the southern tribes that make up uh, what is commonly known as as Judah, right? And so they're going to have prophets that are playing out different roles there um, and calling God's people back to the covenant that was established at Mount Sinai. Uh, Mount Sinai kind of being like a, a marriage ceremony between God and Israel and these covenant uh, requirements being placed on both parties, right? And so the prophets help remind God's people when they, when they stray, okay? Um, obviously, we came out of studying the Gospel of John uh, for a year and a half, and you might be wondering, why would we, why would we go to something like the Minor Prophets next? Like, why, why is it important for us to study these these books, if they're, if they're primarily a message for Israel and Israel's unfaithfulness in the Old Testament, what relevancy does it have for us today? I want to give you a couple of reasons. And starting off by saying that um, they're called minor prophets, not because their message is any less valuable than the major prophets, right? They're called minor prophets because they are shorter books 
than some of those major prophets like a Daniel or Ezekiel or Isaiah, okay? So they're not minor in their message. They're simply minor in the shortness of their message, okay? So three reasons that we're, we're doing this study over the next 12 weeks or so, okay? Number one, to show that all the Bible is approachable, to show that all of the Bible is approachable. Um, and it's important. Um, what I've tried to do since planting our church is to take us to portions of Scripture that maybe the average Christian, average church member, average Bible studier would be hesitant to go to because of fear of not being able to understand it, right? And so we went to the book of Revelation because it's one of those that uh, sometimes feels off limits to the average Bible reader, that it's for the scholar, it's for the theologian, it's for the pastor only. And so we went there in hopes of giving you a foundation to study the book of Revelation more and more throughout the years, right? What I want to do in this study is not give you everything from each one of these books. We won't have time, right? If we're covering, covering a book a week, we won't have time to cover every truth, every um, doctrine, every promise that's contained in these books, right? What my hope is, is that I can give you a strong foundation on Sunday that would allow you to, over the course of the next week, study that book in, in more depth on your own. Now, some of you do a great job of studying before I teach, and I would, I would encourage you to continue doing that. Um, but let me encourage you to, to maybe approach the next week each week, the next week after I've taught, as an opportunity for you to go back and just kind of reread through that book. Maybe study some of it on your own because you now have a, a framework a working knowledge of what this book is even about. What are some of the key terms and themes and even some of the vocabulary that's there that maybe would have previously been confusing, right? Let me encourage you to do that. The book of Hosea has 14 chapters, but, but these are short chapters, right? I mean, I reread the entire book again before our, our service today, and, and it probably took me about 15 minutes to just kind of read through it uh, in one sitting. So these aren't long books. You can reread these over the course of this week, and maybe it'll come alive to you in ways that it hasn't before because of what you learn on Sunday morning, okay? Second, we want to gain a, a greater picture of God and his love for his people. Uh, we're going to see that running theme through all the minor prophets, this, this understanding of God's love, and then we're going to see Jesus and the role that he plays in the Old Testament. Um, we're going to see him as the fulfillment of all scriptures. Um, thinking of Luke 24, when Jesus meets the two on the road to Emmaus after his resurrection, remember he begins to expound to them how the prophets and the Old Testament point to him, right? He even tells them, you need to know and believe and understand and obey what the prophets have said. He's saying that in the New Testament, right? So if it's applicable to those two men walking on the road to Emmaus, it's applicable to us, right? We want to know what the prophets say. We want to obey the prophets. Okay, some main ideas that we're going to see both today and in the coming weeks in um, the other minor prophets. Number one, main ideas, the sovereignty of God. We're going to see that he remains in control of all things, that things happen in accordance with his divine purposes, right? So there's going to be a lot of judgment and a lot of consequence for Israel and Judah's disobedience and sin. And we're going to see how God uses other nations to enact that punishment right? But this isn't nations doing whatever they want to. This isn't things spiraling out of control for Israel's history, right? This is God using evil nations to bring about appropriate punishment, discipline, consequences on his people, the purpose being to rescue his people, to renew his people, to bring his people back to him, 
All right, we're gonna see the holiness of God. We're gonna see that uh, God will not tolerate sin and he will not allow it to go unpunished, that his holiness will not allow him to tolerate sin in the lives of his people. And then we're gonna see the love of God, right? That his holiness is always coupled with his love, that um, the warnings and even the punishment show his compassion and his concern and his mercy, uh, that his goal is to rescue his people, to rescue his people from their sin. And when they go uh, wayward and they are stuck in their sin, God does whatever necessary to redeem them from that. Okay, so those are some, some of the main ideas that we're gonna see uh, in the coming weeks. A little bit of an introduction to Hosea specifically. It's a book of poetic uh, judgment, poetic um, consequences. Uh, so the, the way that Hosea writes, um, he, he writes from a poetic standpoint. So you have, to, you have to know that, understand that when you go into reading this book, that there's a lot of poetry that's contained there. If you're interested in some of the background passages, 1 Kings chapter 12, 2 Chronicles chapter 26 through 32, give you some of the background understanding, the background knowledge of what's happening in Israel during this time with some of their kings, okay? The setting of this book, the setting of Hosea's message comes somewhere between uh, probably 800 B.C. and and 722 B.C. Uh, 722 B.C. is when the Assyrian Empire actually carries out some of these warnings and judgments upon Israel. They come in and Assyria kind of conquers the northern kingdom, okay? So it's somewhere uh, between the, the 800 to 722 mark, so in that 8th century uh, before Jesus shows up. Jeroboam II is the king of the northern kingdom. Uh, this is about 200 years after the kingdoms have kind of split up and gone their own ways. Um, and Israel, this northern kingdom that we're talking about today, they are enjoying a time of earthly prosperity, okay? They are spiritually bankrupt, spiritually bankrupt, but you wouldn't know that from the outward appearance because outwardly everything seems to be going great. There's a lot of prosperity in Israel during this time, okay? They've, they've regained a lot of their borders. Um, trade, trade is going well with some of these other nations. They formed some alliances with some of these unholy people. But from an outward standpoint, they are prospering. And yet what Hosea's message helps us see is that they are spiritually bankrupt on the inside. And what God is going to do is he is going to use Hosea to accuse Israel, sometimes known as Ephraim, sometimes known as Samaria. So when you read through this book, when you see Israel, Samaria, Ephraim, we're talking about the same group of people, okay? Uh, Israel is that collective name for the northern kingdom, the 10 tribes. Ephraim is one of those tribes, one of the predominant tribes, okay? So sometimes uh, it's referenced as Ephraim. And then Samaria is their capital, okay? So that's why the the names are kind of used interchangeably. You can get real confused if you're reading through that because it's like, man, who are we even talking to here? We got all kinds of people groups. It's the same people group, same group of people that's being addressed, okay? Um, So Jeroboam is their king, okay? Earthly prosperity, God uses Hosea to accuse them of breaking the covenant. And they do that through idol worship, through the dependence on alliances with these unholy nations, okay? They've broken the covenant. We're gonna see some some more specifics here in a second. Um, But Hosea warns them of the tragic consequences to follow if they don't change. Um, And and what we find is that they don't change appropriately and the consequences do come to bear on them. The Assyrian Empire conquers them. You see that in 2 Kings chapter 14 through 17. The theme is found in Hosea chapter one. So let's look there. The setting of this book. 
It says, the word of the Lord, verse one, that came to Hosea, the son of uh, Bere, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. So we have the context, the historical context set of when this is taking place. Verse two, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go, take to yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. What we see here is, is Hosea being called to marry an unfaithful woman. Fast forward into chapter three, in her unfaithfulness, he has to go and get her. Hosea chapter three, verse one, and the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisin. So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a lethich of barley. And I said to her, you must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without king or prince, without sacrifice or pillar, without ephod or household gods. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. We see that God is communicating uh, a deeper truth, a deeper meaning through this story of Hosea, right? He tells Hosea, go do this. Go marry an unfaithful woman. Why? Because I'm married to an unfaithful woman, right? I am holy God, marrying myself, attaching myself to an unfaithful people, right? The descendants of Abraham have not stayed true to me. Then he tells Hosea, go and redeem her. Go and rescue her. Why? Because even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, though they turn to other gods. God says, because I've stayed faithful. Even though Israel has not been faithful to me, I have stayed faithful to them. I want you to model that now. I want you to show that same level of faithfulness, okay? So God's faithful love to his people, despite their unfaithfulness, is shown through the love of Hosea in his marriage to unfaithful Gomer. Um, what we see, not just here, but in other passages of scripture, right, is that devotion to the Lord is like faithfulness in marriage, with idolatry being equal to adultery, right? So that theme runs through other passages of scripture. God portrays faithfulness to him, like a husband or a wife being faithful to their spouse. When we follow other gods, we, we, we show unfaithfulness to our God. It, it is a, a picture of adultery within marriage, right? Um, Israel has rebelled, and God is going to bring severe consequences, but God's love and mercy are more powerful than Israel's sin, right? He's not going to give up on them. In Hosea, we meet a prophet who faithfully loved his unfaithful wife, Gomer, and even paid to win her back. Hosea points us to Jesus and the great price he paid to bring us back to himself. Jesus is the fulfillment of Hosea's love. All right, like that, that's where we see Jesus in this. Jesus is the, the manifestation of this imperfect love that, that Hosea is trying to show to this unfaithful wife, right? Like God's love is obviously far superior to this model of human love, but God uses this model of human love to help communicate that deep truth of God's love towards us, right? Um, the, the scandal of this marriage sometimes gives scholars some problems. Um, some people try to explain this away and say this isn't a real marriage, this is hypothetical, um, or they really try to dress Gomer up in such a way where 
she maybe wasn't unfaithful prior to the marriage and only showed unfaithfulness like after the marriage um, because there's this m- mindset that God wouldn't ask Hosea to do such a thing, marry an unfaithful woman. And so maybe it's just a hypothetical thing, right? Um, we don't know for sure if she's promiscuous before or after marriage. I mean, wh- when I read it, uh, it doesn't sound like she's a, um, a hopeful example of like a Proverbs 31 woman right? Like, I don't, I don't get the impression that, that Hosea was like, oh, this is going to be a winner. Like, this is going to be an excellent arrangement for me. This is going to really pay off for me. Like, I don't know the depth of her sin, but if we're, if we're really wanting to follow the picture, you know, to the fullest, man, Abraham and the people of Israel weren't special before God chose them either, right? Like, there was, there was nothing righteous or holy about themselves in and of themselves prior to them becoming God's people. So I tend to think that she was less holy than some commentators want to dress her up to be, right? Obviously, she's not unfaithful to him because they're not married, but uh, it, it's not far-fetched for me to think that she had a reputation of, of being um, one who was running around with a lot of different men at the time, right? And Hosea chooses her, chooses her to be his wife, chooses to love her despite her, um, her history of, of what looks like it would flush itself out as being unfaithfulness in a marriage relationship too. Um, she's most certainly unfaithful after the marriage. Whether she was before or not, uh, we don't know, but she's certainly after the marriage. Uh, she bears three children to Hosea. Um, but despite her unfaithfulness, Hosea is to go and find her, pay off the lover's debts that she has incurred, and honor his commitment to love her, Right? Now, you think in terms of how does this book break down? Chapter 1, 2, and 3, we see some of that story of Hosea and Gomer. Then chapter 4 through 14 is more of that poetic piece where we see that relationship between the two of them playing out between God and Israel. We see images of God's faithfulness to Israel, how he's always been faithful to Israel. We also see images of how Israel has been unfaithful to God. And then we see these promises of how God's not going to leave it that way. God is going to restore these people. He's going to fix these people. He has committed himself. He has obligated himself to these people, okay? Um, we talked about how God seemingly marries Israel at Mount Sinai with that covenant. Um, God establishes some, some ways of life for the relationship between God and his people. And I want to draw your attention to some of that because it, it helps us to see why Israel <coughs> is being held accountable here in this passage, or in this, it's this minor prophet, okay? In Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 19. Some of the obligations that God gives to his people in response to the love and devotion and care that he's gonna give to them. Deuteronomy chapter four, verse 19. It says, and beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven And when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. Right? He challenges them not to uh, not to raise their eyes towards other gods, not to forget God, and to uh, set up parts of creation as God. Right? He also communicates to them in Deuteronomy chapter eleven that he is going to be their, um, their source of rain, their source of grass, things that were 
paramount to the success of a people group at that point, right? Like they need the harvest. They need the rains to come. They need the, the, the grass to grow. They need it to take care of their livestock. They need their crops to grow, right? And, and they're going into this new land, this new promised land. And God says, I'm going to take care of you. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 14, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your livestock. And you shall eat and be full. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain and the land will yield no fruit and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. What's he saying there? He says, look, we're about to go into a new territory. You've never been there before. These aren't your crops. These aren't your herds, but you're about to embrace this new land, right? And he says, the temptation's gonna be to conform to the world and how the world operates and what they trust in for their provision, right? He says, man, don't turn your attention to these false gods. Don't turn your attention to these fertility gods that they worship. He says, I'm the source of your rain. I'm the source of your grass, right? If you stop turning to me, that's when the rains and the grass are gonna go away for you. You keep your eyes on me and those things will continue to flow your way. In Hosea, we see that, 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 that God is our, our, um, our rain, Hosea chapter six, verse three. He's the one that takes care of his people. Hosea chapter six, verse three. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out as sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. He's who we are supposed to turn our attention to. In Hosea chapter 10, verse 12, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap steadfast love, break up your fallow ground, for it is the time to seek the Lord that he may come and rain righteousness upon you. And we serve a God who's not just involved in taking care of our physical needs, right? He takes care of our spiritual needs as well takes care of our spiritual needs. And, and Israel's going into a foreign land where a culture was already established. They're told to wipe that thing out, right, and start fresh. They don't. They let people linger. And because they let people linger, they start to follow after their ways and they get into the predicament that they're in that Hosea is having to address here in his prophetic book. God wants to protect Israel from unfaithful nations and alliances that will turn on them and fail to help them. Hosea chapter five, verse 13, right? They, they, they take their eyes off of God. They're trusting in these uh, foreign gods, these gods of the land. And then they put their faith and trust in these stronger nations that are around them because they fear that God's not gonna take care of them. And so in Hosea five thirteen. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to the great king. But he is not able to cure cure you or heal your wound. And God wants to protect them from from, uh, being dissatisfied with, with this route right? These gods don't satisfy you. These kings can't satisfy you. They can't, they can't take care of you like God can. 
Israel enters the promised land. They become unfaithful with Baal. Um, They prefer him. He's the preferred lover over God. Uh, Some of you are aware that the religions of the promised land were a manipulative type religion. Um, What the worship atmosphere was like is you were meant to act out acts of fertility as though you were the gods. And by acting out these, uh, these, these relationships with each other, um, it was meant to produce fertility on the earth, right? You would have babies, uh, your crops would produce, like things would go well for you. And so you, you can see how that type of worship would appeal to the flesh, right? Like let, let's come and be very sensual in our worship and it will lead to prosperity for us outside of our worship services, right? And so they, they, they embrace this as a better alternative way of worshiping and getting what they want. They turn their attention to these false gods and God can't honor that, right? And so they want rains, they want grass. God has promised to give it to them. They go a different route and that's when God starts to shut the heavens up and starts to close the ground up. They don't get the things that they need because they've turned their attention away from him. In, in turning their attention to these false gods, they've created a pole poor culture of imaging him well. Remember, Israel is supposed to be the nation to represent what God is like to these other nations. But look at some of the things that they're involved in. Hosea chapter 4, verse 12. This is the culture that they have built. My people inquire of a piece of wood. Their walking staff gives them oracles, for a spirit of whoredom has led them away are stray, and they have left their God to play the whore. What's Hosea saying there? He's saying, look, God's people have gone from worshiping him to talking to a piece of wood. They're getting their guidance from a walking staff, right? They, they've, they've turned the glories of the creator, and they are worshiping the created thing. Romans chapter 1 talks about this, this, this shift and the downward shift that continues when you do that, right? So they, they worship these false images. Then look what happens in Hosea 13 too. Look at the tragedy of a a nation that is supposed to image God well. We talked about why why God doesn't allow uh, graven images, right? Because he's already given his image on this earth. And it's through every human being that walks and talks, right? It's, it's It's through human beings that God's image is seen, right? Hebrews chapter 13, or Hosea chapter 13, verse two. And now they sin more and more. They make for themselves metal images, idols skillfully made of their silver, all of them the work of craftsmen. It is said of them, those who offer human sacrifice kiss calves. What are they guilty of here? Man, they are guilty of elevating trinkets above human life. Right? We talked in our our series on imaging God that Every single human being matters. Even the human being who is so scarred by sin, right? And subjected to even uh, disabilities. Like that human life matters and it starts to matter in the womb, right? It starts to matter at the moment of conception. It is imaging God. And what the people had done is they had disregarded, disregarded God's image right? They were sacrificing human beings and kissing idols. Killing humans and kissing idols is what they're guilty of. And then they go even further. They create this culture of lying in Hosea 10, chapter uh, chapter 10, verse 4. I led them with cords of kindness, with the bands of love, 
I'm sorry, that's Hebrews 11. Hebrews 10, 4. They utter mere words with empty oaths they make covenants. So judgment springs up like poisonous weeds in the furrows of the field. Right? Empty oaths, mere words. They're liars. They steal. Hosea chapter 7, verse 1. This is, this is God's people. Supposed to reflect the attributes of God. Truth, right? Generosity. And yet what we see is that they are liars, not truth tellers. They are stealing versus being generous. Hosea chapter 7, verse 1. When I would heal Israel, the iniquity of Ephraim is revealed and the evil deeds of Samaria, for they deal falsely. The thief breaks in and the bandits raid outside. You see it in Hosea chapter 12, verse 7 as well. A merchant in whose hands are false balances, he loves to oppress. Right? They're, they're, they're stealing from people with false balances, and they kill people. Hosea chapter 6, verse 7, not only through the human sacrifices, but in, Hebrew, in Hosea chapter 6, um, verse 7, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers tracked with blood. As robbers lie in wait for a man, so the priests band together. They murder on the way to Shechem. They commit villainy. All right, so get this picture in your mind. Israel, just like us, just like Gentiles, they're created in the image of God. Remember we said God-like is not what God's content with. He wants godly, right? So he, he chooses a people to become this light to the other nations. He says, Israel, you're gonna be my shining light. We're moving you from just being God-like like every other human being. We're gonna make you godly. <clears throat> We're gonna take that image and do something special with it. We're gonna make you godly and you're gonna show the rest of the world what God is like, right? Through the way that you interact with each other, through the way that you care for each other, through the way that you worship me. And they've completely abandoned that. And think about what they are doing now. They are imaging, killing, stealing, lying, right? What they are imaging is Satan, right? He comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what they are imaging to the rest of this world. They they are looking far more like what Adam and Eve chose to do, and that was to follow after Satan versus following after God. But what does God do? He pursues Israel instead of divorcing them. Instead of abandoning them, instead of responding to their unfaithfulness with divorce, he pursues them to renew the covenant. Hosea chapter 2, verse 16. This hope is extended to Israel. It says, And in that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal. For I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, the creeping things of the ground. And I will abolish the bow, the sword, and war from the land. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in steadfast love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, and you shall know the Lord. Man, God is serious about this covenant, and he says, I'm not going to abandon you. I'm going to pursue you. So we're getting this picture in this, in this book, which I want the, the, the image for you to see is that Hosea is called to love an unfaithful woman, and he's called to go into the relationship knowing that, just like God was, right? God wasn't surprised by Israel's unfaithfulness. Man, the, the lamb was slain before the foundation of the world, right? God knew 
Israel would be unfaithful, just like Hosea knew that Gomer would be unfaithful. Goes into that marriage, and, and he plays the role of God, and he loves her, and he's faithful to her despite her unfaithfulness. And it's a picture of what God does to, to us as his people. He comes after us. He pursues us. He's not content to let us walk away. He's not content to let us choose other lovers, right? He says, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to come after you. I'm going to pursue you. I'm going to redeem you. And then he gives this vision of this, this renewed covenant where the relationship is made right, where we properly respond to him in love. All right, I want to give you two points of application in our, in our outline for today. Number one, remember the gospel is God's love paid for the undeserving. Remember that God's gospel, or the gospel is God's love paid for the undeserving. For our kids, God loves us even though we don't deserve it. And that rings so true in this passage of Scripture, that the gospel is God's love, and it's shown towards those who least deserve it. And, and, and God's love is love in action, right? Because he's paying, he's paying his love, right? He's, his, his love, it cost him something, right? It cost him his son on the cross. We just, we just saw that through the gospel of John, right? Jesus has to come and fix everything that we've messed up. The gospel is God's love paid for the undeserving. Number one, God's love initiates the gospel. We don't earn it. We see this in the picture of who Gomer is, and that's why I tend to think that she was probably uh, not all that appealing prior to the marriage because I think that's exactly who we are, right? We're, we're enemies of God. Um, he has to come in and change that. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not pretty to God, right? We're not, we're not holy to God. We're not righteous to God. He doesn't choose us because he's choosing the best of the best, Right? Um, Gomer was very likely unfaithful before the marriage. She demonstrates unfaithfulness in the midst of the marriage. But she's the recipient of covenantal love and redemption despite her shortcomings. And that wrecks our minds because I think we are so prone to embrace the gospel truth for ourselves, but sometimes so hesitant to let, let that apply to other people, Right? So oftentimes I think we want to hold other people under a gospel of works where, hey, they don't do things that, that would, would warrant them being a Christian um, and, and deserving of God's love. Therefore, they can't be a recipient of the gospel, right? I remember when we were studying in Genesis and then we saw the story of Lot and then we saw in Hebrews that Lot is called a righteous man. Right? And and there's there's some scandal there because when we read the, the we read the story of Lot in Genesis, it's like, what is righteous about this man? Right? There, there's not a whole lot to hang your hat on. Like you don't typically do lessons in Sunday school about Lot and how we want our kids to be like Lot, right? Because Lot just messes things up over and over and over again. He can't get the the the, the mentality of, of what he is supposed to be as a husband and a father and protecting his family. What's he doing? I mean, he's putting his family as close to Sodom as he can, and then he goes right into Sodom, right? And even when he comes out of Sodom, he kind of botches that up too, right? But what makes Lot righteous is him turning to faith, even in the messiness of how he turns, Right, Because his righteousness isn't based on his performance, it's based on Christ just like ours is. Right, We are very quick to say, man, 
I'm not righteous, Christ is righteous. But so oftentimes we want to measure other people by some type of standard of righteousness that, that, that they can't live up to, right? What we see here, Gomer is us, right? Like Gomer is us. We are the unfaithful one that God keeps loving, even though we don't deserve it. And, and sometimes that pride creeps in and we wanna think that maybe we deserve it a little bit when we compare ourselves to others, right? But we are Gomer. We are the unfaithful one who God continues to love. The moment you stop, and I said this in our sermon series in Genesis, the moment you stop questioning the righteousness of Lot is the moment you've truly understood salvation without works, right? When you can finally see Lot as a righteous man and be okay with that because you realize, you know what, it's not based on his performance, right? The thief on the cross is considered a righteous man and he didn't do anything righteous, right? It's because of the man that he's looking to next to him who has done everything righteous, right? He's the righteous lover. He's the faithful lover who comes and is committed to us when we were uncommitted to him. God's love initiates the gospel. It's him loving us that starts the whole thing, not us deserving it. Number two, God's love redeems us from the pit. Tyson read from uh, Psalm 103. It's our passage for D groups this month, right? Um, This verse is found there. God redeems our life from the pit. We don't become valuable because of things that we do. We are valuable because he gives us that worth. Our worth is because of him. Hosea pays a price to get Gomer back just as God pays a price for his people. And, 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 and that's the picture that I want you to see today is that Hosea comes and buys an unfaithful woman back to him, right? If we want to think in terms of like grounds for divorce and all this kind of thing, like Hosea was off the hook. And yet he goes and gets her and rescues her and brings her back and says, I'm not going to give up on you. Like, I'm committed to you. And he loves her and pursues her. He redeems our life from the pit. His love is deep. It never gives up. It goes after his people. He pays a great price to get us back. And we're, we, we are included in this people group, right? Like, lest we think that this doesn't apply to us because we're talking about Old Testament Israel. Man, this applies to us greatly. And the New Testament lets us know about it. In uh, Romans chapter 9, This is a passage about how God is not done with Israel. But Paul is very clear to say that because of Israel's unfaithfulness, Gentiles are jumping in on this. Romans chapter 9, verse 25. Verse 24, even us whom he has called, not for the Jews only, but also for the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea. And I'll give you the two passages he's quoting, Hosea 2.23 and Hosea 1.10. 223, 110. As he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Hosea 13, 14 talks about will he rescue his people from death? 1 Corinthians 15, 55, quoting from the same idea found in Hosea 13, 14. He does rescue us from death. Death is swallowed up in victory, 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Those ideas coming from Hosea 13, 14. Remember the gospel is God's love paid for the undeserving. That's you and me. Number two, pursue a lifetime of loving God back with a changed heart. Pursue a lifetime of loving God back with a changed 
heart. That's what Hosea calls his people to. Calls God's people to come back, to be faithful, and to love God in response to the love that has been shown to them. For our kids, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Number one, we're called to stop our unfaithful ways. Remember what, what Hosea tells Gomer. He goes and he pays this great price to get her back. And in verse 3 of Hosea 3, And I said to her, You must dwell as mine for many days. You shall not play the whore or belong to another man. So will I also be to you. Right? She is told to put away these unfaithful ways. We're called to stop our unfaithful ways. Gomer pays nothing to enjoy this relationship, but she does have expectations that are placed on her now to stop being promiscuous. Because here's the thing, when we sin, we set ourselves against God. In Hosea chapter 13, verse 9, He destroys you, O Israel, for you are against me, against your helper. We don't want to be against God. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 30, if you're not with me, you're against me, basically. If you're not, if you're not building what I'm building, then you're working against me. We don't want to be against God because we don't want him against us. All right, we're called to stop our unfaithful ways. Number two, we're called to love him back. First John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Gomer had been promiscuous from the very beginning. Why would she change? Because scandalous grace leaves a mark on people. The idea is that Hosea's superabundant grace and love would pierce Gomer's dark, hard heart and begin a work of transformation in her. She would turn from her promiscuous ways because of Hosea's love from gratitude, not from duty. And so it is with the gospel. We receive God's forgiveness freely, yet when we do, it marks us, it changes us from the inside out. And as a result, we end up loving God back. And one of the ways that we do that is we show love by loving others. 1 John 4, 9 through 11, 1 John 5, 2 through 3 says that if we truly love God, we will love those around us. We're called to love him back. Number three, we're called to know him well to avoid wandering. We're told to, we're called to know him well to avoid wandering. One of the reasons that Israel wanders is because they forget him. They forget who he is. They start to ignore his laws, his commands, his teachers. In Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Right? They've, they've abandoned their knowledge. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. In Hosea chapter 8, verse 14. For Israel has forgotten his maker and built palaces. And the, the knowledge of God has decreased greatly in their culture. We must never forget that he's the source of all our good. This is how we stay faithful to God as our lover, is that we remember he is the source of our good. Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God 
rather than burnt offerings. Man, God wants us to know him. Hosea chapter 13, verse 6. But when they had grazed, they became full. God promised they were going to be full, remember? Remember back in Deuteronomy, he says, you, you follow me, I mean, you're going to get the rains, you're going to get the grass, and you're going to be full. When they had grazed, they became full. They were filled, and their heart was lifted up, and therefore they forgot me. They forgot the source of their good. Started to believe that it was them. Started to believe that it was the result of other things going on in the land. Right? They turned their focus and attention to other things, and they forgot God. It's why our study in Genesis was so important, because we can't forget that everything that we are is defined and created by God, right? Everything about this world starts with what God says about it. Way back in Genesis, right? What he says about gender, what he says about marriage, what he says about work, what he says about our purpose and being here, what he says about our value. Like teenagers, youth are in crisis mode about these things, right? And we can't be guilty of of failing to communicate a solid knowledge about God to those areas for our kids because the world will say something totally different about it, right? Your value is found in other things. You can marry whoever you want to. You can, you can do whatever you want to. You can be whatever you want to be, right? Those things are already decided for us. We don't have to question this thing. We don't have to wonder about those things. They're decided for us. We see it in the book of Genesis. God says, don't forget. Don't forget who I am. Unless we think that we're not potentially guilty or tempted towards this, James chapter 4, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God, right? If you're not, if you're not with him, you're against him, right? And so we have to put ourselves in this story and say we can't be Israel here. Right? We can't be Gomer here. We can't remain in an unfaithful state. Right? We, have to pursue, we have to pursue him and love him because of the love that he's shown for us. Can't forget he is the source of our good. And then lastly, number four, we're called to walk in his ways and listen to his voice. Hebrews, or sorry, Hosea. You can tell I don't teach from Hosea much. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9, the, the last verse of this book. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. Man, let me encourage you, if you don't read the rest of the book this week, read chapter 14. It's awesome. Um, it's awesome, the, the promises that God makes to, to stay committed to us and to, to restore us and to... Um, have us see, become what we're meant to be, right? But he says, the ways of the Lord are right, we're to walk in them. And then I think maybe my favorite verse in this whole book is, is Hosea chapter 11, verse 10. So I'll close with this verse. Again, this is kind of looking to the future, the, the new covenant and how God fixes his people. It says, they shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. And when he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. This is a picture of God restoring his people. They had been dispersed and separated and carried off into captivity. And man, as a lion, he's going to roar. He is going to gather his people and his people are going to respond. Remember John says, my sheep hear my voice, right? Um, when the lion roars, that shepherding lion roars, 
his people hear him and his people come running. They come running to walk in his ways. All right, and so what we see from this book is an is a unbelievable picture of what God's love looks like. That he loves us despite our unfaithfulness, despite the fact that we don't deserve it. The gospel is his answer to all of our problems. All right? And he is our source of good, and we are called now to turn our focus and attention back to him and to trust him and to love him and to follow him. I'm going um, to pray for us. Tyson's going to sing us a song, and then I'm going to come back and uh, give us a couple of application questions to finish out our time together today. God, we thank you and praise you for your goodness to us. Help us to not forget that you are the source of all good, that every good gift and every perfect gift comes from you above. And God, when we look around at the good things in our life, help us not to, to do as Israel did and to love those good things more than you and to think that those good things can be the source of our happiness and the source of our provision. God, help us to be very mindful that if we're not careful, we will become friends with the world, and that's to be an enemy of you. And that is committing the same as, as adultery within marriage. Um, God, we thank you that you have loved us despite our unfaithfulness. You, we thank you that you have loved us despite the fact that we certainly did not deserve it. We thank you for Hosea and his obedience to you to carry out this picture so that we can better understand the love that you have for us. But God, help us to be people who hear your voice, who respond to it, who walk in obedience to you, who seek to love others well, who seek to image you well, not, not by worshiping other images. God, I pray that these truths would, would, would be things that we can, we can hold on to as we leave today. Um, God, give us a desire to continue this study this week as we go back and maybe read and study some on our own, the passages that we didn't get, have time to look at today. God, we want to love you more. We ask that you would help us to do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.